and welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy. This is episode 33 of the Jake. It's uh, January 11th, 2018. Still uh, having to fix my seven into eights on a couple of the notes I have to take at work. Uh, still transitioning from the seven to the eight. Even though I'm excited for this year, a lot of cool things going on early on. Got some big plans for later in the year as well. So really excited for 18 because... I think everyone's just excited for 16 to end and then 17 to end because that was even worse. You know, right now you're seeing a lot of people joke about it on Twitter. You know, uh, you know, it'll be like, oh, I can't wait for 2017 to end. And then 2018 is like, hold my beer because that's kind of what happened last year is everyone was like, oh, fuck 2016, get this over with. So excited to move on. But yeah, episode 33, we're trugging along here. This is the Trent Richardson episode. Yeah, Trent Richardson, number 33 for the Cleveland Browns, was supposed to be like the next future great Cleveland Brown running back, and it never really worked out. A lot of people label him as a bust. Uh, I don't really see him as a bust. I know that's like kind of crazy to you know say those words in that order because it you know he was out in like two to three years, but I don't really look at him as like a really big Browns bust. Okay, why? Because well, let's dive in. His rookie year with the Browns, his only full season with the Browns, uh, he had 950 rushing yards and like 200-something uh, yeah, and more. I think, think he totaled for like 1,300 yards, both rushing, receiving total, and 13 touchdowns, which like, that's not a bust. That's a productive player. Now, his average wasn't that high. He benefited from having a really good line. And, uh, you know, he was playing behind Alex Mack and Joe Thomas and, you know, Mitchell Schwartz came in right around then too. So he had a good line. He didn't have a great average, so he should have actually did better than that. But it's not like those are bust numbers. Those are fine numbers. And then like three weeks into the next season, they traded him to the Colts. He didn't have a chance to bust with the Browns. And they still got that first round pick in return. So he wasn't really a Browns bust. He's more of a Colts bust. Colts gave up a first-round pick and never got, like, a good game out of him, and he was done. Went to the Raiders, didn't work out there. Went to the CFL. I don't even – who knows? He's still trying to make a comeback, but, you know, it, it's – I don't look at him as a Browns bust because I think a lot more has to go into it. Now, also, you got to remember, you know, that year he was drafted after Andrew Luck and RG3 – you know, those guys have had up and down careers as well because Luck, you know, came out of the gates strong. Same with RG3, but RG3 got that big injury at the end of his rookie year and was never the same after. Uh, Andrew Luck, he's only recently gone on to a couple of uh, injury things, but it's like with his shoulder, it's kind of messed up. He didn't play all this year. So they got to be a little worried. And then after the Browns picked, it was Matt Khalil, who hasn't been all too great. Justin Blackman, who's been out of the league. Mark Barron, who was really down before like coming back up, that wasn't really that 2012 draft. And it was like Ryan Tannehill after that. So it's not like that one's a huge draft. At first, everyone thought, oh, man, like that was a real big miss. But, you know, once you step back, it's not that bad. So I'm just defending Trent Richardson as not a Browns bust. Now, there are some Browns busts. All right. And if you want to skip ahead, that's fine. But if you want to hear my top five of the week, this week we're doing Browns top five busts, okay? Now this could be, we're going only new Browns. So ever since they returned in 1999, the busts then, okay? So let's go. Number five, David Vicuni, second round pick, D 
defensive end Hawaii. Now, a lot of people are like, who the hell is this guy? You know, like, uh, he's not one of the ones you hear about. Well, because he never played. He literally, like, never played. They didn't have film on him at the draft. None of the guys like Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay even, like, knew who this was. He wasn't even on their draft radar. He was a defensive end at in college, but they drafted him to be a linebacker, and then it turns out they want to be, like, a middle linebacker, like, way away from what he did in college. So this was kind of like a wacky pick. It was... It was a weird time to be a Browns fan. You know, like Eric Mangini just took over. They had they had a top five pick that they thought you're okay, you're gonna get a really good linebacker or someone. And they kept trading down and picking up like Jets players, like Jets veterans. It was very strange. They took Alex Mack, who everyone was bummed about because they didn't take Ray Maluga. Um, and they didn't take Clay Matthews Jr., which, you know, that would have been a big one, you know, to take Clay Matthews. Even though Alex Mack ended up being a really good player in himself. You know, with uh, a bunch of good seasons for the Browns and like two or three Pro Bowls, and now he's doing really well with the Atlanta Falcons. But then what they did in the second round is they took a bunch. They they accumulated a bunch of second round picks. They took two wide receivers who Brian Rubisky wasn't that good, Muhammad Masqua wasn't that good, and Dave Vicuni who never even saw the field. So for that alone, for being having one career tackle. David Vicuni is number five. Number four, going with a recent one, Cam Irving. Cam, the moment he was drafted, no one liked the pick. He was a first-round pick. It was supposed to be like in a, an additional one from doing all those trade-downs the year before. They had Danny Shelton at 12, and then in the later teens, they picked Cam Irving, who didn't even start his rookie year, which that should tell you right away. Because if you're drafting a lineman in the first round, he's got to be starting. They drafted him as a center, even though they already had Alex Mack. He had just played tackle the year before, but that wasn't really a comfortable spot. And they already had pro bowlers, Mitch Schwartz and Joe Thomas. So it's like, okay, is this guy playing guard? They tried him at guard. It never worked. He never played guard before, and he just failed there. Then when they lost a tackle, they lost a center, they played him. You're thinking, okay, he was ready. They're going to move him to center once Alex Mack left. There was like their eventual replacement. I like the pick now. Wrong. Sucks at center, too. Can't block anybody. He's too he's too weak to block anybody in the NFL. Then they tried moving him to tackle, and he didn't even win that job. Like, he was replaced in the preseason, and they cut him this year before the 0-16 season. So he never had to bear that. But only two years with the Browns. Never sniffed the field the first year. And then when he finally did get on the field, he was an absolute disaster. So, number four, Cam Irving. Number three... Going up to Penn State University, going back to the defensive side of the football, to the 2000 NFL Draft, the number one overall pick, Courtney Brown. Now, Courtney Brown also started his career pretty well. You know, like Trent Richardson, he came out of the gate with a strong rookie year and then actually was following up his rookie year with a good second year as well. But he got hurt after six games. He had five sacks in the first six games and then he was hurt. And after that injury, he was never the same. He never put in another full season. He struggled mightily with injuries, and that kind of set the tone for the rest of his career because it was really too bad. That year was not a good year to be drafting number one for the Browns, which stunk because they the year before was Peyton Manning. And then in 2000, when there seemed to be no quarterbacks worth taking that high, Chad Pennington was the only one that went in the first round. Uh, a quarterback from Hofstra was the only one to go in the second round. And then Chris Redman went in the third. Like, that was it. That was it. Nowadays, you're seeing, like, three quarterbacks go in the top five. 
There was only one in the first round, three in the first three rounds. Browns took Spurgeon win in the fifth, which sucked because it was right before Tom Brady went 199th overall. But no one, no one hit on Tom Brady. He went in the sixth. Even the Patriots didn't even believe it. Robert Kraft didn't even know who he was. They took a flyer. It's not like they believed. So it's not like the Browns would have missed that one. That was due to injury, so it kind of give Courtney Brown a little bit of a break. Not like number two. And number two is a tough one because it can go a lot of different directions. I haven't mentioned a quarterback yet. And you know what? I'm just going to do it. Number two is number 22. Yes, the number 22 draft pick. The Cleveland Browns have taken three quarterbacks with that draft pick. They've taken Brady Quinn out of Notre Dame, Brandon Whedon out of Oklahoma State, and Johnny Manziel of Texas A&M. Now, these were all a few years apart, right? Brady Quinn was drafted in 2007. They had already taken Joe Thomas with a third pick. Brady Quinn was seen in the green room waiting. It was like, oh my gosh, he's falling off the draft boards. And the Browns traded their future first-round pick and a second to go up into the first-rounder and get Brady Quinn. He was a growing up a Browns fan. He is still, to this day, the one pick that I'm like, I don't regret picking him because of... He went to Notre Dame, he grew up a Browns fan, he had all the intangibles you thought a quarterback needed to succeed in the NFL, and just never really worked out for him. And uh, I, I blame coaching because he should have did well in the NFL, and he wanted to do well, and it never worked out for him. That was also part of the weird end of Romeo Cornell, beginning of Eric Mangini. Oh, that was a weird time. But Brady Quinn, I didn't, I, I didn't regret that at all. Brandon Whedon, on the other hand, ooh, let's go back to the 2012 draft. We're just talking about Trent Richardson. They take the running back third overall. They missed out on RG3. They missed out on Andrew Luck. So what they do? They panicked and took like a 28-year-old quarterback at, who was a former minor league baseball player at number 22 overall. When 20 went, my roommate Brandon Engelstad asked me, hey, Jake, what's the worst thing that the Browns could do right here? And I go, Brandon Whedon. And then once they took him, I went ultimate spin zone on all my friends. I was like, you know what? They're only looking for a starter. You know, if he could start five to ten years, we would love that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Jake, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I'm totally with you, man. And it's like they just felt bad because they're like, oh, my gosh, Jake, you have such a low bar, and he's not even going to reach that. And, of course, I was at Brandon Wayne's first game. He got run over by a flag and threw four interceptions in an extremely winnable game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, that was a heartbreaking one. And it just was, it set up the tone for Brandon Whedon's career in Cleveland. It just did not go well. And uh, he he actually had a couple years as a backup. I uh, don't think he finished the year on anyone's team. Uh, it's too bad. Uh, that, was, that was another bad one. And then the other number 22 overall pick was Johnny Manziel. A lot of people thought the Browns were going to take him fourth overall. You know, Notice how all of these times, the quarterback they took at 22, they took a guy beforehand. You know, Brady Quinn, they already had Joe Thomas in that draft. Brandon Ween, they already had Trent Richardson in that draft. Both went three and then 22. And then this one, they had the fourth pick, and they traded down a couple times to nine and then back up to eight. And you're thinking, oh, they screwed up one pick. They're going to go take Johnny Manziel. And they took Justin Gilbert, a corner from Okie State, who, like, none of the Browns ever talked to. They just took him based on, I guess, reputation, and he never even played the field, you know, it was like, it was crazy. And Johnny Manziel, everyone was bummed that we didn't take Johnny Manziel. 
but we had this Colts pick at the end of the first round. They trade up to 22, that vaunted, awful spot, took Johnny, everyone was excited, and of course, you know the rest with him. Failed miserably. CFL didn't even want him until recently when a team picked him up, and now he's tweeting, comeback season, 0-16 season, and just just ruining Browns fans. And it's like, dude, you've never done anything, you know? So who are you trolling? Like, you know, the guy has serious problems. And number one bust, you know, if we're going to move off, move off quarterbacks, you can go a lot of different directions here, but I was just talking about before. Number one was Justin Gilbert. The guy was... He never even played on the field. There were so many like old veterans on that Browns defense that hated him. Carlos Dansby and Dante Whitner like almost got in like a physical fight with Gilbert one day because he showed up at like the facilities at like noon. You know, that's the same time that like fans are walking into the stadium, and that's when he's walking into the stadium. And like there's a story that Dante Whitner had to be restrained from fighting him because when he confronted Gilbert, Gilbert just laughed and was chewing gum in his face. And I mean, if you know anything about Dante Whitner, you're like, that's not a guy to do that to. And then that just summed up Gilbert's career. He was never even on the field. He just like, ne never, they didn't want to play him. And it was supposed to be the pick that the coach wanted, the defensive back, the shutdown corner to go with Joe Hayden and like, woof, that was bad. Never even played. And he was the number eight overall pick. One spot behind Mike Evans. They could have drafted Derek Carr. They could have drafted Khalil Mack. So many players they could have went. And instead, they went Justin Gibbler and then Johnny Manziel. 2014 was a long time ago. Oh, well, what any? Jeez, oh, it's tough. Tough being a Browns fan, I'll tell you that. But you know what? It's the offseason. We got a lot of positives coming up about the Browns season coming up because you know what? They're not even playing football right now, so that helps. Uh, that's the most positive time of year to be a Browns fan is January through April because all you can do is add players to your team, and usually the Browns aren't losing good players a lot, so off seasons are usually pretty good. But they do have a lot of money, they have a lot of draft picks, and they have a lot of respected guys in the organization now. Organization, jeez can't even talk. They hired a bunch of guys that used to work for the Packers, did a lot of good work there. So we'll see how it goes. Lots of time left, but I off season is a time where I start to get really optimistic. So going forward, you're going to hear some optimistic Browns talk. A lot of sp stuff on the draft, especially quarterbacks. I mean, mainly because it's so unbearable to watch the Cavs again. Like every January, this is the story, right? Like uh, they lose two straight games by like a billion points. They lost again by like 30 points to Toronto. The, the other night they lost to Minnesota. These are two teams they're better than. They have a full roster. They have LeBron James. Yet every year in January, there seems to be this like stretch of what the hell is going on with this team. And then a couple of my friends will start to troll me saying like, oh man, like LeBron's going to leave. This is cr like crazy. Like they're so overrated. Look at him yelling. He's such a baby. And it's like, I hate that January has to happen for the Cavaliers because in two months, they're going to be playing awesome. They're going to be gelling. They're going to be healthy and they're going to be getting ready for the playoffs and everyone's going to forget what January even happened. Like they're just going to roll through teams. And I still think that to be true because they have an even better team than they did last year. Their number two guy might not be as good, but the number two guy is really close to last year's number two guy. If we're talking Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie. So I think right now you just got to bear through the storm. You know, the Cavaliers kind of do this. They like take off two weeks basically 
where they play really crappy basketball, and hopefully we're at the end of the two weeks. But it seems like it's been like three weeks, and it might not be stopping anytime soon. So we'll see. Hopefully there won't be a lot of subtweeting by LeBron, and hopefully this actually doesn't hurt their chances of re-signing him. You know, maybe he, you know, puts on a little bit of the show, but I bet he's a little pissed that, like, they get dragged through the mud every January by teams that are worse than. So we'll see when it actually comes to decision time if this plays into the part at all when he has to make a decision in July. And finally, of course, we're going to round out the Cleveland sports real quick. <sighs> Baseball can't start soon enough. Indians, they lost a few guys this offseason, but they're still looking really strong for the AL Central uh, they should make a run at the World Series. This is this is their this was the year they're hoping for. In 2016, when they looked to contend, they looked at their roster and I said, okay, the roster is set up for a window of 16 to 2020. You know, like that four to five plus years, and they're still going to have a lot of these guys if they re-sign them. But this is kind of like the big center of that window because they haven't they lost Carlos Santana. They lost Brian Shaw, and uh, they lost one more guy, I can't, MJ Bruce. So it's like, okay, they're missing a couple pieces, but they're still the strongest team in the AL Central. None of these rebuilding teams are going to be competing just yet, assuming the Royals lose all their guys and the Twins don't make any serious additions. But this is the big year, 2018, so can't wait for Indians baseball to start back up. Going to definitely go to Philadelphia when Carlos Santana plays too because I'm really excited to watch him play live and maybe maybe make a sign or something. And finally, college football is over. This season was a lot of fun. Everyone knows college football is my favorite sport. Uh, I will watch that all day long, well more than the NFL. And I think that's probably because when the Browns play at 1 o'clock, it puts me in such a bad mood that I don't even want to watch football at 4. And all the other East Coast teams are playing at 1 as well, so... It just I'm all footballed out after the Browns and after a full day of college football. Maybe when the Browns start winning, that'll change. But right now, it's like I watch the Browns and I watch Saturday college football. That is it. That's like my whole weekend in the fall. And it ended with a great game. I didn't want to see Bama win, but at the end of the day, it was in such a cool comeback. Uh, they switched quarterbacks at halftime, which a lot of people are like, oh, where is this kid coming from? It's like, hold on. He's the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country for a reason. Like, he, they've been waiting to play him. And they've been, you know, kind of like circulating him into play going into bowl season. And they were getting him ready just in case they had to play. And Jalen Hurts was super awesome of a teammate and, uh, you know, supporting him the whole way. When they interviewed him after the game, you know, they said Hurts, you know, like, you know, they really wanted him to react. And instead he was like, no, nah, man, like, this is my teammate. I love him, and, I, you know, he's one of my best friends, and I wanted him to do well, and I, you know, and I was, like, praying that he would do well. So, like, Jalen Hurts really knew how to answer that question, and it was like, yeah, I mean, a lot of these people that were, like, making assumptions had no idea about Alabama football. They were just like, oh, they're great. They're the team that was returning, you know, all of last year's team. And, of course, they win on, like, an awesome pass in overtime, which I love the college football overtime rules. I think, uh, I know it's really different. You know, a timed game is no longer timed, and uh, there's no special teams, and uh, it doesn't go like it goes possession by possession. So it, it, a lot of things change 
when you go to uh, to overtime, but I like the way that's set up. I think it's really cool, and I think it's really fair. And, yeah, it was a cool championship. I wanted Georgia to win, but at the end of the day, it ended so cool that, like, you know, I was all, I was all for the story. And now that the big bad guys again next year, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia again, will all be battling for that spot. Uh, I think it's going to be a down year for the Pac-12 and the Big 12 because they're losing all the good quarterbacks in the conferences. Uh, maybe Washington makes a big run out west. They, they seem to be still in a good position, and they're kind of building a real a real thing up there. Uh, but the Big 12, they're, Baker Mayfield is out. Texas is still unproven. You know, Baylor is super down. TCU's like, everyone kind of knows what to expect with TCU now. They don't really respect them anyway. So I think the Big Ten SEC will be back next year in addition to Clemson. I think that's the big one next season. This past week was also the Golden Globes. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone likes those award seasons. I don't watch anything outside of the Globes and the Oscars. I don't watch any of the music ones because I feel like there are way too many and the awards don't even matter when there's like an award ceremony like every other week. Uh, but I really like, I like the Emmys too, I, I you know, but I love the Golden Globes and the Oscars, obviously everyone watches because that's the big one, but with, uh, with the Golden Globes, a couple things that were of note, so this was a big moment for Seth Meyers, who was hosting, really had to navigate around a tough situation that Hollywood set for him with all the Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and all that crap, you know, he had to basically entertain people he couldn't avoid it he had to bring it up but uh i think he did a really good job of mentioning who wasn't there and and like he was himself he was like i mean this guy's obviously comfortable doing it because he's done years of snl weekend update and then now has his own show so i think uh i think seth meyers did a really good job i also thought oprah's speech when she got the cecil b demille award that was the big highlight of the night. And everybody took it as possibly Oprah's uh, presidential candidacy speech. She still hasn't said much on that, but Stedman, her partner, uh, he said basically, not basically, he flat out said, if the country needed her to run for president, she would most definitely do it. Um, and he's a really trustworthy source because like, they live together. So uh, I can't think of a better source in terms of Oprah than Stedman. So... And I was thinking about, I'm like, oh man, like, do we really need more like celebrities running for president? I'm like, unless, you know, you get someone, some politician who's being groomed and ready for this, uh, I mean, what's the other choice? You know, recently everyone, you know, like that comes out of like politics is there's, there's never like a good enough candidate. I feel like all these candidates get like crapped on like that, you know, the Republicans that, uh, that Trump had to beat to get to, to the Republican nomination. It's like, really? Like that's, you know, we, we had Ted Cruz and, and that, I mean, it was Ted Cruz and Ted Cruz. Like, and it was just a bunch of guys that SNL was able to make fun of. I mean, like Chris Christie, uh, I actually did like the Ohio guy though. So, so I mean like, you know, I guess they had some competition, but it's just like, you know, Donald Trump won because he's popular, and Oprah is super popular, and her policies are going to sound a lot fairer because she's the anti-Donald Trump, and people are going to like her, so we'll see. Who knows? I mean, I don't want to say no way because people 
said no way about Donald Trump. I mean, if Donald Trump can become president, Oprah sure as hell can. So we'll see going forward. But I didn't think that was much of a candidacy speech as much as it is, was like a, we are addressing the state of the nation. And uh, I think it was really good. You should check out her Cecil B. DeMille acceptance speech, where she basically just called out any predators or creeps of any kind saying, hey, it's over. Like, that time is up. And that was the big phrase line, is time's up. And I think that uh, she nailed it. It's Oprah, of course she nailed it. Other other than that, though, from the Globes, there were some really, uh, like, really cool uh, panels. Or, not panels, nominees, I guess, geez. Um, for Best Actor in a Drama, this one was wild. Like, I, I, I tweeted it out the moment it happened, because I was, like, all eyeballs when this happened. It was... Tom Hanks for The Post, Daniel Day-Lewis, Gary Oldman, who ended up winning for playing uh, Winston Churchill in um, in uh, The Darkest Hour, which I hear is really good. And then the other one was Denzel Washington, all along with this fifth kid. He's 22 years old. His name, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, is Timothée Chamolet. And I think he's French. Uh, he uh, is in a movie with Army Hammer called Call Me By My Name. Or I Will Call You By Your Name. Or Call Me By Your Name. I, I don't know. Um, it's one of those. Or I don't know anything about it except it seems like a forbidden uh, young uh, gay relationship. So it, it, it I hadn't heard of it before the awards when they were announcing, oh, you know, two of the greatest actors of all time, two of the, like, other best actors of our lifetime, and Gary Oldman and Daniel Day-Lewis, and then, of course, Denzel and Tom Hanks being the guys that they are, you know, one's a Cecil D. B. DeMille Award winner already, and uh, Hanks is, I mean, it's Tom Hanks. So, for that kid to be part of that five nominations, I'm like, Good on you, man. That's You couldn't be surrounded by a better crop of people. Like, wow, good on him. Also, uh, noticed a couple big things. Everyone thought The Post was going to clean up with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and uh, you know Steven Spielberg for Best Picture and all that, and uh, didn't win a thing. Not a damn thing. Uh, three billboards won a lot. Sam Rockwell won. Uh, Francis McDormand won. And I think it won Best Movie as well. I'm not sure. But it was uh, three billboards, which I thought didn't even look that good from uh, from the from the trailer. And it turns out it apparently was really great. So, uh, you know, sometimes I jump to conclusions, and it seems like I was wrong in this one again. So uh, maybe I'll be ready for Oscar season more, though. But it was uh, – what a, what a – that was an upset because a lot of people thought the post – being about, you know, what it's all about, but it was, uh, you know, because this, I don't even know the whole story. I'm really excited to see because it's about some, like, government cover-up about Vietnam War, so we'll see how that goes, but yeah, it won Best Motion Picture, it won um, Best Performance by an Actress, Francis McDormand, um, and then it won... Did it win Best Director? Sam Rockwell won for Best Supporting Actor. No, it did not win Best Director. Uh, but it was nominated for that as well because Guillermo del Toro won. But that was a big one. Uh, three billboards kind of cleaning, cleaning up the dramas. 
And then in the other side of things, comedy was Lady Bird. Uh, that one, a couple uh, big ones. And I didn't know that was that good. My mom saw it. She said it wasn't even all that great. Like it was a, you know, it was a whatever. But I liked Sarsha, Sarsha Ronan or uh, Cersei Ronan. I, I feel bad because like the joke is that she doesn't even know, uh, that no one knows how to pronounce her name. And she did a whole big joke on SNL about no one being able to get it right. So, uh, you know, when it won, it won best, uh, musical or comedy and then Sarsha, uh, won for best actress. So that was a big one. And then in, I mean, the shows, you know, they went, a couple were pretty typical Sterling K Brown one for this is us. Um, Handmaid's Tale, uh, that won a couple awards, so a lot weren't really upsets there. The one thing, though, was Big Little Lies really cleaned up. And, uh, uh, before I get to that, though, and, and all about Big Little Lies, uh, James Franco winning and bringing Tommy Wiseau up from the disaster artist, and then seeing Hugh Jackman's face of like, are you fucking kidding me about this? That was great. That was a lot of fun. I saw The Disaster Artist last week. I did a one-minute movie review in last week's episode. So check that out if you want to hear more about The Disaster Artist. But I really liked it. I was happy for James Franco for winning. And he brought up Tommy Wiseau. Hugh Jackman was, <laughs> Hugh Jackman was not pleased. But hey, whatever. You know, suck it, Hugh. But finally, uh, yeah. Big Little Lies. It won everything for a miniseries. It won Best Supporting Actor. It didn't have an actor eligible for Best Actor, but Alexander Skarsgård for Best Supporting Actor won. Uh, Reese Witherspoon lost Best Actress to Nicole Kidman in the show. And then uh, Shailene Woodley lost Best Supporting Actress to Laura Dern, also in the show. So, And then they won Best Show, Best uh, uh, Miniseries. So immediately I'm like, look at all these nominees. It like owned this category. I got to check it out. And I was not disappointed. I watched all seven episodes this week. It is really good. Uh, they do a great job of, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to my one minute movie series review. Mini series review. Sorry. Uh, from binge watching this week, Big Little Lies. So... There's only seven episodes in the miniseries. It was a really interesting show. They had a good intro. It's about mothers of a California town uh, that are they're, all their kids are in the same grade together in school. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of showing off. You know, they have big houses. Uh, some of them work. Some of them don't work. And it's kind of like you know they get into the nitty gritty of kind of like politicking around schools. Uh, and it's about this one girl who receives like abuse at school and they blame it on the new kid whose mom is, you know, from out of town. She's younger than all the other moms. And she's single. She doesn't have the money that Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern have. So it's a, it's a really interesting story about these four moms at the school. It was only seven episodes. I won't give away the ending, but the season starts with a killing with a murder at this big party and they don't say who is killed. They just show all the aftermath and then it leads up to that night, the entire year. And they give you testimonials about from other people about all the women in the show. 
And it's really interesting trying to piece together what happens. And then it ends with like a big finale, a really cool twist. And uh, they're doing a season two as well. So I'm really excited for season two. I was told by so many people to check it out. Uh, I, I'm bummed that it took me that long. It took me, it took them, what, three Golden Globes to get me to watch it. But I loved it. I thought it was one of the best miniseries I've ever seen. And I'll be checking it out again. Hopefully it'll be on the same time like Veep and uh, Silicon Valley are. Like those Sunday nights. That'd be a nice combo now that there's no Game of Thrones. So really love uh, my one-minute miniseries review on Big Little Lies. Big fan of Big Little Lies. And it was good. So next up is Black Mirror. Oh, man, I love this show. You guys know it's like... Literally one of my favorite five shows of all time. It It's like quickly approaching Lost and, it, oh man, it, I mean, it, it won't take long to pass Lost. I still have three episodes to watch of this new season, but it's right up there with The Wire, Lost, and... It might, might, and Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's it's in my top four with those, with those, with those three. It's so good. They, and they do a good job of bringing in new characters, new storylines. I thought the first episode this year was a little bit too much like a previous episode, and I thought that, you know, uh, I was kind of bummed because I wanted to see them expand a little bit, but the next two episodes, they did totally different topics that I thought were really good. Um, and you know what, they, they get you with the endings. You never, like, some one of them actually wasn't even that sad of an ending, which is crazy because usually they are really sad endings. Uh, one was like a happy ending, yet you realize you're not even rooting for humans. Uh, it was very strange. This show is really intense. I love it, and I'm so excited to. I'm probably gonna watch one more episode tonight uh, before the weekend, and probably finish it up this weekend. I've been trying to hold off as long as possible, so I've been watching old episodes between the new ones to kind of, you know, drag it out for as long as I can because. With most shows that come out on Netflix, I watch every episode real quickly, and I'm so bummed when it's all gone, and I can't watch it anymore. So with three episodes to go in the next, or the last season, actually not last season, the current season, because they've got stuff coming up with this. I believe they're they're already getting ready for, you know, the deal they have with Netflix is currently done, but I believe they're planning on re-upping because it's just so good i actually have a great idea for an episode and i'm gonna hope to uh, catch one of their ears because i'd love to see it go into action i have a really good episode idea that involves <clears throat> i'm sorry that involves kind of like clones and uh like the perfect specimen type thing and Honestly, I don't want to get way too into it because i could go on for hours about this one but i have a really good kind of like uh episode idea and i think i want to send it in so i'm gonna i'm gonna try and find them that way the other big show i'm watching right now i mean you guys all know i'm a big bachelor fan and a couple weeks ago sarah swenerton and i uh on the sixth pod of jake miss sarah was on and we did our preseason bachelor picks and now that we're two episodes in i can say without a doubt that we were way off Oh, woof. Now, we nailed some things. We're right on Crystal. She seems to be shaping up to being into the show for a long time. He's obviously into her, bringing her on a date early on in the first episode. 
and uh, brought her home, uh, which, by the way, has to be like the worst date ever. For a first date, she went to his hometown, which I'm like, okay, that's fine. Met his family. Ugh, first date? Yikes. And then, like, they watched home videos of him as, like, a five-year-old. And he's like, oh, no, like, I wish you didn't see that. I'm like, woof, this is awkward. And, like, I could tell she didn't want to be there. But as the Betches pointed out on their podcast this week, that they probably did that to kind of provoke her talking about her family because she has a very deep background about her, like, basically having to raise her brother and they were homeless for a while and it's like wow okay that's i mean i guess they're giving you like the yin and yang of family scenarios because they showed ari's you know famous family and how he grew up with basically anything he wanted and then she's like yeah you know i had to basically save up every cent i could find so we could buy a comforter and it's like yikes didn't think they were gonna go there so yeah, bachelor season, we are burning roses. This is uh, really exciting. Didn't do any draft, but there's still 18 girls because uh, I guess there were a couple extra girls in the uh, preseason this year because after one episode, it was only down to 21 and it's supposed to be down to 18. So usually it's down to 18. So we'll see. Um, uh, maybe I can get the draft together uh, this weekend and we can really dive in uh, to you know, the point totals and everything for this season, because I'd love another thing to root for on the show. Uh, but what were we way off on? Well, uh, for one, I was way off on Bibiana. Uh, I thought she's a top four candidate. I had like a super crush on her based on one picture, uh, which was stupid. I should never make these predictions after just pictures and bios, because all it took was like five seconds of hearing her voice and seeing like, oh, she's like the pissed off, like, Miami like hothead and uh that was just an awful pick I couldn't like her less right now uh I also thought Allie was going to be a finalist and she didn't even make it past the first cut that was really dumb of me uh I thought Brie would be around for a really long time as the big villain she didn't make it to episode two uh Brittany I thought was going to be another one Brittany I forget which Brittany it was the one that's gone I picked her to be around for a while and be like the like the villain not even close and then Jenny the girl I wanted to pick to win the show but I went another direction because Sarah picked her I went with Bibiana who had at least made it Jenny didn't even make it I'm like oh my god she would have been a first round pick for me she is a lot younger than him and she even admitted when she got cut that she is most bummed out because she's going to be leaving all of her friends and it kind of seems like she's just embarrassed to be leaving the bachelor so quickly but she's like 10 years younger than him she's really cute i thought he was kind of all in for like a younger girl so i guess maybe not who knows because he's really into chelsea right now and i didn't see that happening he's like super into the single mom but he apparently has dating history with single moms not just emily maynard but his girlfriend before the show um was a single mom too so maybe that's what he's into. Maybe he wants to be like relied on. Uh, I want to like Annalise. I want to pick her as like the you know she's close to him in age. She seems really sweet. She's really pretty. And then it seems like in every preview she's just crying over trauma from like bumper cars. It's like are you kidding right now? Like oh you're the crier. I never liked the crier. I'm like damn it, Annalise, pull your shit together. So. 
I don't, I don't know. She's going to have to really change her because like she is Jekyll and Hyde to a T. You know, one second she's looking like the cool head. Um, she, he's really into her. She had the mask gimmick in the, in the first episode and he seems into her at times. And then she starts crying over nothing. Ugh, it's like, oh, don't be that girl, Annalise. And she won't, like, she'll be too old to be the Bachelorette. Like, 32, they're not going to go that direction. They're going to go younger again. So, I, I mean, she needs to, like, step it up big time because I really wanted to like her. And uh, right now, I'm getting killed from every direction. And we were right on the Beckas. Both Beckas seemed to be in for a while. He took one on a date. Uh, the very first one on one date, and the other Becca, he like really made out with for a while, and is in a lot of previews. So we'll see going forward with the two Beccas. But this just shows you need to watch that first episode to gain any likeness of any of these characters. Like you can't characters <laughs> of these contestants or girls, however you want to put it. You can't make these picks based on one picture and the answering of generic questions. It just you don't get a good enough look until after the first episode. Then, okay, now we can get into it. Now we can kind of make predictions about this show. So my current top four, um, now that I have to reorder everything because woof on my predictions. But my top four, I'm thinking Crystal's going to be around for a while. She already she got the date rose for the one-on-one -on -one in his hometown. And I feel like he would only bring a girl that he would definitely want around for a while that he's like super attracted to, to his hometown. Raven got that when they did the preseason one-on-one last year with Nick. Uh, so I think Crystal, just based on those facts alone, is going to be a contender. So she's in my top four. My next one. That's tough. I am going to go with Annalise. I think she pulls it together. I think he is into her. I don't think she's going to win it, though, with this, like, crying routine. She's going to have to be better, and she's going to have to have, like, show him, like, a future and everything. But I still think uh, she will find a way to uh, get in, into the top four, into the hometown visits. I think he'll let go of Chelsea, the single mom, before hometowns even though right now like she is doing the best of them all uh a lot of people are liking cn and he obviously liked her a lot too she won the derby thing uh so, and i you know i hate politics i know it is what it is but she is african-american and that plays a part into getting viewership so if they have any say maybe cn makes it into a top four as well and i'm just gonna say that she will i'm that's gonna be my pick right now and for the fourth and final spot, I don't think Bibiana, like, I'm so, so soured on her. I don't think Tia is all that interesting. You know, a lot of people want to like another Arkansas girl, like Raven 2.0. I don't see that being a thing. Uh, I don't think Kendall's around much longer. Ashley, Marik, Jacqueline, I don't see them being into it. I'm going to go with Becca Kay, who he took to the other first date. Uh, he seems very into her. He... It, it's almost like she seems like challenging for him because she seems like pretty smart, but also like ready to like move on and move forward and and like responsible. And, and he took her shopping, but uh, so th so that's my my fours: Becca K, Crystal, Annalise, and did I only make three? 
I only made three. And, uh, oh, and CN. So, yeah, that'll be my four. But it should be fun, a really interesting season, and uh, I hopefully will be able to do some type of draft with uh, the people from last year again uh, going for, you know, going into the season. Because got to have the draft. I mean, what else am I going to do watching this show? I need, like, the reason. <laughs> so, uh, that is it for Bachelor Talk this week. Uh, this weekend, got a couple fun things coming up. Uh, we... Hey, it's Martin Luther King Day, and if I uh, spend Monday with my dad, usually we do that for like a movie. We go for like a matinee. He teased the idea of going to a double feature, which I'm not. I don't know. I don't. I'm. I'm not seeing a whole lot of movies that I'm really into. So if you have an idea for a double feature, two movies in one day, what would you go see right now? Would you? Would it be something you want to see at home in a movie? But if you have to be at the theaters for two movies, which two movies would you go see? It could be anything that's out. Just let me know whatever two you would want to see if you had to do a double feature. But that's my uh, that's Monday, Sunday, and Saturday. The two the two actual weekend days. Uh, we're gonna have NFL football on. Now my picks: Falcons at Eagles. A lot of people are liking the Falcons right now. Uh, I think they got hot at the right time and think uh, not having Carson Wentz for the Eagles is going to be a problem. I think the Falcons make the upset and go to the NFC Championship game as a six seed. In the Saints-Vikings game, I think that one's going to be really good. Um, I think I really want the Vikings, but, 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 but when it comes down to it, having Drew Brees... He's in a dome. If this was if this was outside, it'd be a difference. Um, I'm gonna pick the Saints. I, I think it's crazy. I know it's gonna be the four and the six seed in the NFC Championship game. I really want to pick the Vikings and the Eagles, but uh, this weekend always shows you usually get two wild cards making it, and then two of the bye week teams making it too. So. I'm going with the Saints and Falcons winning this week. And I really want to pick the Vikings and the Eagles because my cousins, two of my cousins are Eagles and Vikings fans. So I kind of want to root for them. But I uh, I see the Saints and Falcons advancing. Drew Brees playing indoors. And I think just no Carson Wentz are the two big, uh, two big keys here. And then the AFC side, everyone's picking Brady and the Patriots over the Titans. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm going to pick that as well. And then the Steelers, Jaguars, like, I want the Jags to win so much, but they're just not gonna. I think the Steelers really show their stripes this weekend and kind of stick it to Jacksonville. I'd There's no game I want more than Jaguars over Steelers. And not just because my friend Owen is a big Jags fan. Uh, it's because I hate the Steelers. And after this 0-16 season for the Browns, the only way it can get worse is a Super Bowl for the Steelers. They're eighth and... Or would be their seventh, but it would be the most all time, and just it, it would just be the cherry on top for, for such a horrible season. So those are my picks: Falcons, Saints, Pats, and Steelers. Uh, hope everyone has a great weekend. Uh, again, uh, happy to be back on the podcasting trail. Next week we're gonna get into more vacations. You know, any plans for the winter and uh, any way to escape all the snow? I got a couple ideas. I'm going to be visiting my parents in Florida in a month or so. But let's uh, let's talk other vacation ideas for ba Vacation Baker Week coming up next week. Everyone, have a good one.